Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article from the December issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, Purchased Hay, The Extra Costs. To discuss this, I'm joined today by the author, Ben Beckman, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. Thanks for joining me today, Ben. Always happy to talk, Aaron. Well, Ben, as we sit here in early December, it's been very clear that there's a shortage of forage across Nebraska and around the surrounding states. And this is a situation where people are often going out and purchasing feed hay that they normally wouldn't. In this article, you highlight some key things to think through. Remember, when you go out and look at purchasing hay beyond just the price of that hay, walk through with us some of the extra costs that need to be considered as we think about buying hay. Well, I I don't think that this is an exhaustive list by any means, but I I do think that when we go out and we purchase hay, you know, we are opening ourselves up to just a little bit of risk. And while that definitely doesn't mean that it shouldn't be an option for our operations, it's just something that's good to be aware of. And and there's some things that we can do to uh, mitigate and try to just lower some of the risk that we can occur. You know, usually when we're looking at hay costs, we look at the, the sticker cost, the the price tag of what it is, you know, per ton of hay. But there's some other things that we can have along with that hay. And so we just tried to walk through those a little bit here. You know, the first one being whenever we, a lot of times you see hay reported, it's it's good quality hay or it's, you know, fair quality, um, unless that's a reputable seller. And, and those are legitimate categories of hay that USDA uh, classifies different hay as. Um, but most times people aren't using those as a, a classification system because they've gone out and tested it. They're just using that as a descriptive term for their hay. Um, and so the first thing that we really want to do if we're going out and purchasing hay is to make sure that we've got some sort of hay test to kind of back what that person is you know, saying, whether we're um, you know, purchasing it or, or we're selling it. You know, that way we can go ahead and say, you know, what I'm sharing with you is, is actually what I'm saying. And this is just really important from the standpoint that there's a lot of variation when we put up hay, whether that's the maturity of the plant, um, you know, precipitation plays a role in that. If we did some fertilization, um, how we put that hay up, you know, maybe it got rained on, maybe, you know, it was put up perfectly. And that can really swing things, even just a few percentage points in, in crude protein content or um, TDN content energy can have a really big impact when we start looking at um, how much we need to feed to animals, what our supplementation strategies are going to look like, um, when we want to feed those hay, that hay to, to different animals and different classes of animals, and even you know what we're actually getting for the cost that we're paying for it. Um, if I have good quality you know prairie hay and that's sitting at five percent crude protein, and someone else is selling good quality prairie hay and it's sitting at seven percent crude protein content. There's a big difference in those, you know, when they start looking at supplement costs. And so figuring out what that hay is actually testing at, what it's worth and how it figures into our operation is is something that we really need to do right off the bat. Well, I agree, Ben. I think a hay test is important. And we've had some other podcasts. We've got some good articles at the beef.unl.edu website on this topic. I think the important thing also is just to make sure that the hay test you get is representative and it really does tell you what that hay is. And so as you work with someone, whether you're the buyer or the seller, it's to your advantage on both parts to accurately know what you have and to make sure you get an accurate hay test to represent accurately either what you're purchasing or what you're selling. 
I think something, I guess, to, to add on to that too, Aaron, is when we talk about testing, hey, you know, if you read the NEB guide that, that we have on that um, topic, we talk about dividing hay into lots. And so if we're buying a large amount of hay, even across one hay field, there can be a lot of variation, you know, if it's soil types, or maybe we didn't get all that hay put up within the same day. And so just one hay test, if we're buying a, a large portion of hay, or we're even selling a large portion of hay, a lot of times isn't enough to actually accurately cover what we're trying to represent with it. So when it comes to hay tests, they're really, when the grand scheme of things, not overly expensive. So more is always going to be a little bit better. The next item you talk about in the article is being careful about invasive species. And in a year like this, when forage is really short, people are scrambling, harvesting things maybe they normally wouldn't, uh, maybe some CRP being harvested. Uh, whenever that happens, we're increasing the potential for bringing in invasive species. Talk through with us just the importance of understanding that and what are some management strategies to try to mitigate that risk? So that, that biosecurity risk, you know, is, and that's kind of how I view it. It's the same as if we're purchasing an animal, you know, and bringing it onto our place, we have the possibility of that being a vector, you know, a, a transport medium for bringing unwanted pests onto our location. And so hay is no different than, than going out and purchasing cattle from that aspect. Um, and so if we kind of treat it like that, we can help mitigate that risk a, a lot easier. So first off, having a reputable seller, you know, know where your hay is coming from, go out and check the hay before you actually bring it onto your place. If you go out, you agreed to you know, purchase some good quality prairie hay and it comes back and it sure looks like it's full of weeds and it's possibly CRP hay. A, then the test probably isn't lining up with what you agreed to purchase, but B, you know, we're bringing a lot of possible weedy species onto our place, like you mentioned. So, you know, reserve that right to go out, review what you're actually purchasing. And if it's not what you agreed to, being able to, to figure out how we're going to handle that. And then once we do, uh, I guess, identify the risks, especially if we're bringing hay from a, a long distance, know what to be looking for. There's going to be invasive species that we may not be as familiar with that we might be you know, bringing onto our place. Uh, we mentioned a few of them in the article, and this is, again, by no means an exhaustive list, but um, we're looking at species like, you know, maybe Suricea lespidiza coming up from Kansas. Old world blue stems are, are a really big invasive species problem that we're starting to see push further and further north. Knowing what some of those species look like so we can be on the lookout and identify them in the hay if we have them. Coming down from the north, we've got species like absinthe wormwood and even locally things like Canada thistle, leafy spurge. You know, if we can identify those, um, we can turn that hay away or, or dispose of it properly or even, you know, just feed it in a smaller area. And, and I think that's the really big thing is if we're bringing hay onto our place, make sure that we know where we're feeding it and try to limit the feeding into a smaller area. So you can go back, we can check, see if there's anything weird that's that's growing, anything that's different that's coming up, then be able to hit that with herbicide or disc that up or whatever we need to do to control those species that we don't want to be there. If we're feeding that hay all across our ranch, we really are opening ourselves up to a lot of risk. But if we have that limited to a small area and we can keep an eye on it, you know, even if we do bring something on, hopefully we can, you know, address that right away and, and get control over it. Weedy species aren't the only thing that can come in hay. In the article, you mentioned things like fire ants, alfalfa weevils. Talk a little about that. Oh, yeah. You know, there's there's always the risk of bringing some other yeah unwanted vertebrate pest species in Weevils are, you know, one that can come from just about anywhere. Um, you know, alfalfa weevils 
are going to overwinter in the alfalfa stem. Um, and so for bringing those onto our place and, you know, they survive, we're opening ourselves up to, you know, possibility of having those infest if we have alfalfa fields nearby uh, a little bit, you know, earlier, especially if we haven't had a problem with those in the past. And so, you know, that's something to take into consideration. Fire ants is, is one that, you know, we don't see and, and probably aren't going to survive in the long term up here. But if we have a mild winter, if we have those hay bales in a sheltered area, we could possibly, you know, um, have those go through the winter and, and then have some issues into, you know, the, the next summer having those species around. So, uh, again, just going through, looking at the hay before you actually unload it and receive it is, is really important. Yeah, and I even include, uh, you might bring some other ones as well. I worked with a producer one time where they bought some prairie hay in and it actually came with rats. And so uh, that's that was an unusual situation, but it caused some consternation for them as they had those bales around the place. Uh, all of a sudden, they now had a pest they hadn't had before. So paying attention to what's in the hay is a pretty important piece. Yes, so the other thing you mentioned, and I think this is one, again, especially this year, uh, you know, we're scrambling to find any kind of feed we can. Is there any potential toxic issues with the hay? And thinking here about nitrates, primarily being the one that's uh, the big one, but it could be some species, weedy species that could be toxic as well. Talk through with us some things to pay attention there too. Um, so whenever we're harvesting that hay, Prussic acid uh, is a risk that you hear thrown out a lot of times. And the nice thing about prussic acid, if you ever um, come across hay that someone says is high in prussic acid, you know, that's probably not true because prussic acid turns into a gas and dissipates. Prussic acid, we don't have to worry about from a, a hay crops side of things, but things like nitrates get locked in as soon as we harvest that. And so if we have, you know, a forage species that's been drought stressed, um, especially we're thinking about some of our small grain species, um, our annual forage grasses, um, even some weedy species like pigweed are really good nitrogen scavengers. And so they accumulate a lot of nitrates and on a dry year, we can have some issues with, you know, high levels of nitrates and nitrate toxicity. So if we're purchasing some of those different products or we purchase some more weedy hay and we see a high level of, of weedy species in there, uh, just making sure again, that we take a hay test and throw in a nitrate test on top of it just to make sure that we don't have any issues that we're going to run into. You know, we can still use those bales if they are high in nitrate. We just need to know that ahead of time so we can feed them out appropriately. From the weedy hay side of things and, and having other toxic compounds, there's a lot of different plants that are, are poisonous to um, animals. And so when we go out and we're harvesting for hay, um, especially on a dry year where hay's a little tight, we might be harvesting some areas that we might normally have left alone. Um, we're getting some different species in there. Again, we're bringing some hay in from from different areas that our animals are not used to. And so because that's a, a dried forage, um, a lot of times those warning signals to animals are going to be reduced. You know, a lot of times toxic plants have a, a bad taste, they have a bad smell. Animals are going to naturally avoid them unless they have to eat them. But if we dry them down, and especially a lot of times if we're grinding this hay up and, and feeding it in some sort of ration or even just feeding it as ground hay, we're decreasing that selectivity. Um, and so animals are going to possibly consume a lot more of something that they normally wouldn't. So again, just going through hay that you've purchased, making sure that there's nothing unusual. If you see some weird plants in there, trying to get an idea on it. Sometimes that's pretty difficult when it's in a, a bale of hay, but 
uh, doing the best that you can to kind of figure out, you know, what's in those bales if something looks a little off. And a lot of times we need to do this almost on a bale by bale basis, uh, just because some of these different species aren't going to grow uniformly across a hayfield. And so they might be really heavy in one bale and, and might not be any in another one. So we just need to keep an eye out as we're using those constantly. Ben, anything else on this topic you think would be important for producers to think through as they evaluate bringing in hay and making sure what they're delivering to their animals is safe? I think one final, I guess, thing on the toxicity side of things, Aaron, is just keeping an eye on the quality of those bales too. If we had bales that were put up a little bit wet, um, we have the issue for mold growth. Uh, even if and with mold growth, we can have two different issues that kind of occur with that. Um, just the the dust that comes from that, the, the spores that are created can cause some respiratory issues. But if we get some really extreme cases, we can have some mycotoxin, you know, development and those can really high quantities, you know, have some pretty extreme effects to them. We can have some abortions, we can have death, but that's on the extreme end. A lot of times our, our animals can still consume that, but it's going to decrease intake. And so we can have lowered gain, lower body condition. So keeping an eye out for some things like that, you know, I, I think is really important. And then finally, just planning ahead, you know, knowing what you have, knowing what you need, you know, and, and really trying to make sure that we're meeting the requirements of our animals and, and planning ahead of time because we're we're through the hay growing season already. No more hay is going to be produced, you know, for this year. And so kind of what's out there is going to be out there. And so if we know that we need to purchase hay, probably getting on that a little bit sooner than later um, is, is going to be really important, especially if we know we need some higher quality hay um, for later on, you know, during uh, lactation or later on in pregnancy, because it's not always going to be the case that, um, you know, there's going to be more hay available, you know, we might take that risk and then we end up settling for a lot lower quality product simply because there's no hay out there um, otherwise available. So doing that planning ahead and just um, being aware of the risks are going to be really important. Ben, thanks again for joining me today. Always a pleasure, Aaron. But for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, you can find additional resources on this topic.